Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 147 for Monday, June 28th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me, as always, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if those listening would like to hear more about things like my barbecue escapades, farmers markets being back, and uh, prohibition in Canada which I didn't even know, you can check out The Render Distance. That is the extended version of the podcast, and you can find it at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. All you have to do is become a member, which supports the podcast, and then you get the extended version every single week. Absolutely. And uh, if this is, by some fluke, the first episode of The Spawn Chunks that you are listening to, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episode, because, of course, episode 146 was when we had King B-Dogs, a Java developer, on the show just to talk about his uh, participation in the Caves and Cliffs update and uh, getting a, a ton of really awesome responses to that episode was pretty much the highlight of our week so thank you so much for uh listening into that episode and make sure you go back and check it out if you haven't already uh once again if you feel like supporting us on patreon you can get the render distance where we had an extra probably 20 25 minutes worth of chat with king b dogs before and after recording the main show so if you want a little bit more of that conversation that is right there and since that episode we've done a fair amount in minecraft joel what have you been up to I have been uh, working on a farming project. I, I tied a little bit more of that dripstone build in, in the medieval city up. Still not super happy with it, but I, it's just it's one of those things where I feel like I was beating my head up against the wall, and I just knew it was time to take a break. And I've been watching a lot of content from my the, just my favorite creators, uh, all of whom are on new 117 worlds and using all the new blocks and doing all the new things. And I realized that one of the things I really wanted for the medieval area uh, to start finishing up some of the landscaping and make it feel a little bit more part of the world is moss blocks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took a, a detour and went to the spawn chunks on the Citadel, which I don't visit very often. Uh, and I started building a uh, self-powering moss farm. It's a design by Il Mango. Uh, I first saw it in one of his peaceful... Uh, challenge videos but he's since made a world download and a refined version now this refined version puts out something like 6400 bone meal a minute or no not a minute an hour um it's it's bonkers <laughs> like it's just bananas the amount that this puts out so i was also rather than just copying the build i wanted to learn something i i've never built a stone generator before because i never had to uh and i knew that this thing was going to use a couple of different clocks that i wasn't familiar with either so um, I adapted it to be, I call them citadel size, which means that there's only eight of us. This thing is going to be running constantly in the spawn chunks until we turn it off. So I didn't need it to be double speed, you know, yeah. 6,400 bone mill an mm -hmm. hour. Yeah. Um, and he was doing it the most efficient way, which involved a lot of hoppers and a lot of composters and stuff. And I thought, you know, I want this to look cool as well. So we've got it out in the middle of a lake. And uh, the drops are actually going to be coming along like a, a log flume waterway going into the ground. And then we're going to find another place to put them and store them um, just next to our iron farm. So when people go to the iron farm on the server, they can also go to the moss area. They can get moss, moss carpet, azalea bushes, flowering azalea bushes, and uh, we're going to compost the rest. And uh, what I'm doing is that the, the way that the module is set up is that there's four modules for bone mealing. Uh, your moss so there's it's a 14 by 8 area uh, of stone that gets regenerated every you know every time you use the farm and uh, we're taking 
eight of those 14 spaces and storing them. And then we're taking six of those 14 spaces and just basically having the waters go in two different directions. And it's going to um, use the smaller, so like a 60-40 split, we're gonna use the 40 to turn into bone meal and bone meal and, and supply the farm with bone meal. And then anything that gets overflow gets dumped back into the system. So I don't have it all working as far as the refilling right now, but essentially there's a water elevator and then like a spiral water thing that kind of goes around it in, in um, like a, a cinnamon roll kind of design mm -hmm. that feeds all the dispensers. And then anything that manages to get past them gets dumped back into the storage water system. So once it's all up and running, there's going to be items going every which way <laughs> yeah uh it's it's really really fun it was really cool to build i learned uh, a lot about um like stone gen and it was really interesting to see the reasons why uh il mango chose um these specific blocks there's target blocks and note blocks behind the stone generator mm -hmm. And it's got a lot to do with how target blocks now pull redstone signal towards yeah them. like redirecting you know you, you, the redstone wire yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're a solid block. And then shroom lights are uh, a solid block that's also non-flammable. So we've got fire tick turned off, so I didn't have to worry about the lava in this thing mm. setting anything on fire, which is cool. Um, so because other, otherwise I'd have to build it into something else other than logs, because it, it's meant to like look like all the kind of loggy stone builds we have in the on the citadel. Um, but anyway, I, um, I've got a clip in our show notes for people listening. Uh, it's queued to the part of the, uh, the end of the Twitch stream from the weekend, just before I turned it on, I turned it on to demonstrate it for, I don't know, 30 seconds. And I ended up with something like six stacks of moss. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. And that's half the farm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now understand that half of that is going to be turned into bone meal to fuel the farm. Yes. So like there's a certain amount of loss, but I think we're going to be okay. And I don't think I'm going to have to go to a skeleton farm ever again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I th it, so that's, that's what I've been up to. It's, it's <laughs> absolutely wild. I think, um, yeah, so much community effort goes into designing these farms in the early stages and what they evolve into is almost monstrous, but in a very good way. Um, and yeah, I, I've been considering making a, a moss farm myself, and we'll get into some of the uh, the kind of 1.17 farming stuff later on in our main discussion. But yeah, I, I expect that if you want to use this as a bone meal farm, incredibly productive, but you've got to remember that half of what you make is end up and ending up being recycled back into the system because you need bone meal to spread the moss in the first place. Still a fascinating farm design, though. And i got to say, it's always really cool seeing complex redstone contraptions built up when they look so, like, organized once they're done. You know what I mean? Like, when, when you have mm -hmm. a contraption like the one you've got a screenshot of there that looks incredibly neat and stylish almost, and that's probably a lot of the work that you've done just to dress it up a little bit and make it fit its environment. But, man, it looks cool when you've got a, a fully set-up redstone contraption like that. Thanks, man. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I was doing as I was building it. The first kind of version of it on Saturday was all um, like kind of dirt and stone, just kind of like framing out where I wanted it to go. And then when I started to put things in like glass, I was making choices like, okay, well, it's a moss farm. I know I want to decorate it with dark oak and moss. So let's go with green glass. And the shroom lights, I wasn't sure about them, but I thought mm, there's probably a reason why El Mango chose the specific block. So I'm going to I'm going to use it. Uh, also, it looks cool anyway. And I thought, well, he used um, 
iron bars along the top of his uh, feeder system to get the bone meal up along the edge of like the the hopper um, waterway, you know. Um, and I used honey blocks for mine, mm-hmm. and I used the honey blocks on purpose because they they match the same color yeah. as the as the the shroom blocks. Uh, shroom lights. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do a bunch of stuff like that. I'm gonna light it from below. I'm gonna put some cool spotlights in the in the lake. I mean the lake is a mess. I need to go in there and take out the sand and the gravel and try to make it look a little bit more like a lake bed and stuff. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Probably in the next two streams. The next stream will be finishing up the functionality of everything and getting everything flowing into a storage system. And then the the next one will be more of like a decorative, like how do I make this look cool? Have a lot of like moss and leaves. And I think it'd be cool to get some flowering azalea bushes. And like once I turn it on, I'll have all the blocks I'm going to use to decorate it. So it's going to look very specifically, oh, this is producing these blocks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And you're going to have a lot of azalea. If, if my experience is anything to go by farming moss manually, you're going to end up with a lot of those bushes and shrubs to, uh, to play around with. Nice. So what have you been up to, man? Uh, well, speaking of the bushes and shrubs, I've been doing a little bit of terraforming around my desert this week uh, on the Empire's SMP because we've obviously been focusing on building over there and... Um, we've done. Uh, I've done a few other weird things this week. Uh, we we decided to do that thing where you go out to the end and don't fight the dragon, but still try and get to end cities. And instead of bridging out this time, I tried building a honey block flying machine that you can stand on the honey blocks, and because uh, when honey blocks move, any entity on top of them is supposed to stay on there. You stick to it. Uh, that was going to carry us across the void. The first time around, uh, unfortunately, we fell victim to lag about halfway mm. across the void, and a ton of us just fell into the void and and lost equipment. But then I had enough honey blocks saved up that I could build a safer version that actually had like a backrest, so that we didn't just like flop off the back of it when the machine moved and we didn't. Um, so that went a little bit better. But then I decided to have a more peaceful time back in the desert. I was using a bit of moss and azalea and actually some bubble coral uh, that I think goes really well alongside the um, the blossoms in the, the flowering azalea, the kind of, the kind of purple mm-hmm. flower look. I decided to waterlog some slabs in this diorama and have bubble coral uh, just kind of dotted around as like desert flowers as though it is the kind of like flowers that you could put on cacti, you know, um, without the spore blossom being in the game, I think it's the next best thing. And it looks really nice uh, having some some gardens and some greenery and some life around the desert, backed up with formations of dripstone and uh, a few water sources here and there to make little kind of pools and fountains that are kind of hydrating the the landscape around them. Um, so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with just changing up the aesthetic of the desert a little bit having the houses stand out as the piece of you know the the giant hunks of sandstone but then obviously working with a few blue accents in the houses as well and that's been uh yeah creatively where my my brain has been at lately so really enjoying putting a bit more effort into that project i really like what you did with the bubble coral uh in amongst the uh flowering azalea it's Mm. it's nice that those colors really jive together and completely out of the coral context it just looks like a flower yeah exactly and and i think the the bubble coral is actually kind of renewable it's not the blocks it's the actual coral plants and so you can bone meal in a warm ocean to get more of those nice if i if i run Mm. out of them i can just end up going back to that area and farming a few more yeah um which is which is great we don't have any kind of like renewable coral block recipe on the server so i wanted to shy away from using the blocks themselves but i think the actual plants look a bit better anyway um yeah the blocks 
sorry, the the blocks would be a little bit much. I think they they do they would probably just end up looking like a block as opposed to <laughs> yeah, you know, like a plant. I uh, I also really like what you did with the rooted dirt in with the looks like coarse dirt and bricks. Yeah, yeah, bricks and granite, a little granite. bit of jungle planks in there as uh, well. Just wor- working yeah. with that kind of like uh, brown to th- through pink kind of color palette, and mm-hmm. again, sort of loosely inspired by. Um, like exposed copper and that kind of pinkish greenish mm-hmm. hue that it's got i sort of wanted to work some of that in but honestly i i decided not to go too overboard with the paths if only because when you're walking around on them the sound of your footsteps changes every other block right <laughs> so I, di- I didn't want it to be like i'm walking on stone one second and planks the next and then you know copper the next and it has that very unique oh, sort of noise right. of yeah. the sort of metallic block noise when you walk on it so decided not to vary it up too much but i'll probably put a few more like accents and statues and stuff around the place and i want to throw in a few more um you know monument little kind of sections around these gardens so that they have a centerpiece every so often to make it stand out against all of the other examples of the garden that are around there this so- just popped in my head uh talking about walking over different things and i think oh if you walked over copper it would sound like you're walking over like a manhole cover or something like that like it would Mm. be like that specific metal thing i'm wondering if we're ever going to get copper trapdoors that'd that'd certainly be an interesting uh addition i I would would really enjoy it yeah it lines up with with iron and all the different things that can be made out of iron right um i don't know whether iron doors and iron trapdoors were like day one with iron you could just you had all that kind of stuff i know hoppers mm-hmm. weren't um but yeah like that would be interesting if, especially if it give you like you know something that would um have the colors range of colors that copper does and um i guess the other the challenge would be like you know would it operate the same way as a, as a iron one that would need to be powered you know to be flipped up and down yeah 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 or, or if there could be something else unique about it that you know it'd mm. only open under different circumstances or maybe it closed with a redstone signal instead of opening or you know mm. there's a, there's a few chances for it to be a little different there but yeah I, I i do like the idea of expanding the copper block range beyond what we have already um i've got some email about copper later on which is going to be fun too um outside of that i've been working on my hardcore world a little bit more i now have a very comfortable hobbit hole um and some netherite tools is the most recent thing i've done there but i'm going to be working on making some some basic early farms all this week i think i'm going to be working on you know farming sugarcane maybe looking into a bit of dripstone farming as well and just gathering a few resources here and there and uh my last news comes from just last night i won another of the clash of the creators uh, events which was super fun we did a a 1.16 advancement race i think it would have been 1.17 but um I think they're still waiting for some plugins to update that they use to connect all of the different servers that each of the teams are playing on so we can all see when each other claims the advancements. Um, but we were playing in 116. The twist this time was that it was ultra hardcore, so it was one life only and natural health regeneration was disabled. Um, and thankfully, I was on a team with Slice Lime, Bruno Danoy, and Thomas DeSpace, all of whom were pretty experienced with playing half-hearted hardcore, so they're right. very good at not taking damage. And it was it was wild. It was very, very good fun. We managed to get some Oxide Daisy Suspicious Stews together quite quickly, so we could have uh, a bit of the regen effect from those, so we didn't need to go farming you know, golden apples and that kind of stuff. But... Um, 
yeah, we, we came out on top by, I think, close to 30 points in the end. And you you got three points for getting an advancement first and then two points if you got it second, third, fourth or fifth. Um, so it was it was going to be a pretty close race regardless. But we were the first team to get to the end. Uh, I was riding around on a strider looking for bastions and ended up dying in lava with about 10 minutes left on the clock. Um, Sliced Lime and Bruno fought the dragon. Uh, Bruno died in the process, but Slice managed to kill it, went through the end gateway, and immediately spawned above, or, or I think in, uh, one of the end city ships, because the gateway spawned basically directly above the mast. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how that happened. I think it's just the position of the end city and the way that the the game looks for locations for those end gateways meant that that was the nearest accessible block for it to spawn on and they must have chosen that seed just for that because i think once you open up a seed the first gateway that you open up always goes to the same place oh, okay. um so so anybody who's um got the seed and i, I think I, I still have it somewhere that i can share um it, it will do the same thing it, it went directly above the mast of this end city ship and so as soon as he went through got the advancement for you know traveling out to the islands in the first place immediately got the end city advancement as well and then three seconds later he had elytra so Whoa. it was it all happened at once right at the end but it was it was such a cool experience were there other players still online when that was happening because they like those things ticking up in your in your chat would have been just like what is going on yeah i i, I do think uh I, I want to go back and see some of the other perspectives, mostly to see how the other teams did and how they, yeah. they kind of organized themselves. Because we had a spreadsheet going and stuff. We were a little bit more kind of uh, mm. organized about it. But I think it would be really funny to see other people's reactions of like, how are they doing that so quickly? <laughs> and Or if anybody's even paying attention at that point because they're all focused on their own stuff. But yeah, I, I always enjoy being part of these events when I can make it to them. And it's it's just a lot of fun you know using that survival minecraft knowledge again but always just in a different context and i'm really looking forward to when they can update that format to 1.17 because there's there's going to be some really cool things you can do in this uh, this next update let's move on to the news though uh and there's fairly little news uh this week actually we have uh no java pre-releases last week um and we linked to slice lime on twitter just confirming that they were uh taking this week off from pre-releases although presumably not from development itself there might be some this week so keep your eyes peeled uh for a probably another pre-release or maybe a release candidate for 1.17.1 on java uh bedrock edition did get a beta a small beta as 117.20.20 uh and some highlights from the list of bug fixes and parity changes that i picked out here include monster spawning in the nether being changed to more closely match java edition there will now be a maximum of 15 to 20 mobs around the player in the nether instead of 30 to 40 swords will now break bamboo in a single swing they've disabled biome tinting for spruce and birch leaves target blocks will now conduct redstone signals and teleporting mobs between dimensions no longer causes mobs to despawn optifine has released pre-release 24 that's at optifine news on twitter shaders support was added in pre-release 22 although still in a bug fixing phase as of pre-release 24 optifine is 96 percent done according to the optifine news twitter account worth noting that other options for performance tweaks and visual enhancements are available for folks who want them iris for fabric is a good one to look at if you're wanting shaders without optifine 
yeah, I, I thought that was worth bringing up because a few people have recommended Iris to me and said that it had shaders support before Optifine. So if playing with shaders is your bag, you absolutely can't do without them, then uh, Iris, alongside some of the other um, performance tweaks like Sodium and so forth, I think are the the way people go if they don't want to rely on Optifine being ready. But uh, yeah, um, the, the Bedrock Edition beta kind of... Uh, took a look at that change log and thought, oh, there's some pretty cool changes here for technical players, especially looking at uh, teleporting a mob between dimensions, not causing the mob to despawn. That's a mechanic that a lot of people rely on in Java for, you know, getting mobs out of the overworld mob cap and into the nether so you can farm them better that way. And I'm not certain what the restrictions were on Bedrock, but good to know. Uh, the bamboo thing is actually kind of huge because um, there's just every so often there's stuff about the way you break blocks in Bedrock Edition that is less convenient than Java. I'm thinking in particular of bamboo and scaffolding because scaffolding is a, a you know one punch and it breaks the entire tower in Java Edition, whereas in Bedrock Edition it takes much longer to break the individual block of scaffolding before the rest of it will fall. And something about that just makes it feel way less convenient to use. Mm. So it, it's really cool to see that stuff like that is being changed out. And honestly... The monster spawning in the nether one, I mostly bring that up because having experienced the nether in Bedrock Edition and quite how many ghasts there are floating around most of the time, it's probably quite a relief to some Bedrock players to find that the uh, overall threshold of mobs in the nether has been decreased a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't aware that it was that different. Like, that's a sizable change for a number of mobs around you in the nether. Um, and it's fun. It's it's quite funny because of how few mobs you typically encounter in the overworld. Like the uh, night in the overworld on Bedrock is pretty playable compared to Java, where you, <laughs> if you're right. out in the in the open in the middle of nowhere, you're defending yourself more or less constantly. Yeah. I find myself running around quite a lot at night if I ever play in Bedrock. So I think it's uh, yeah potentially a rebalance of some of that. And I wonder if overworld spawning is going to be brought up to match because I know the Nether has always been more hectic on bedrock than it was on java so sort of the mm. reverse situation no it's it's interesting i um i haven't spent much time in bedrock on the pc uh but uh i remember from watching a couple of other videos recently in i think it was when they were doing the big changes in the mountain biomes when they were doing the yeah. data pack tests uh i i didn't realize that they did not have spruce and birch leaves maintaining their uh their color because they had something that java does not have which is the spruce leaves changing to a kind of like a frosty white when they're covered with snow yeah uh, yeah in bedrock and i remember seeing that in a video going like ah why don't we have that in java <laughs> uh -huh. like, uh, you know so it's 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 odd to me sometimes when you see these changes that are obviously in the course of parody and making things, you know, a, a little bit more seamless across the board. And you see them, you're kind of like, how is this? Why was it different? You know, like it, it's, it seems like such small changes and you wonder why they've been so long in, in being updated. I'm sure there's a reason. I just don't know what that reason is. Yeah, I think the reason is probably often that there are things which take higher priority than sort mm, of yeah. minor aesthetic tweaks like that. I think it's really the um, the resurgence and the, the rise of more prominent bedrock content creators. I mean, aside from you know the folks back in the day who kind of popularized playing on Xbox edition and so forth, like mm. the the rise of a bedrock player community that rivals the Java community in terms of their overall commitment to vanilla minecraft and not just using it as a platform for uh, education or entertainment um i think has led to 
this call for more parity features and for things to be more similar between the two versions because that way you can have that attention to detail and you can start producing the same sort of stuff that people see in java edition videos there's there's very little difference between the two then you, you get more people being able to to emulate what they see other players doing regardless of version which i think is only a good thing for a game like this mm -hmm. i don't know if um if there's going to be an update to sodium for 117 at least i haven't seen any murmurs about it um in my circles if anybody listening knows uh these um spongechunk mail uh sorry at gmail.com let us know because um i'm still using optifine uh i use fabric obviously on the citadel we run lithium for um, tick performance uh phosphor has not yet been updated to 117 uh op uh sorry optifabric has and that's how you run optifine on fabric so i didn't know about iris and uh, I, uh, I have not yet used it. But if it's something that needs to be used with sodium, then I don't know how people are using oh, no. it on I, 117. I, I, I don't think it is. I think that's just my, my bad not, uh, right. so not it, doing it's, my research on sodium. <laughs> it's, it's basically like Optifine is one thing, and then sodium, iris, and possibly other things are like the same things that Optifine does, but broken up into three different mods instead of Yeah, like mo modular kind of uh, arrangements. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, that's... okay, okay. That's interesting because uh, anecdotally, we're having some lag issues on uh, the, the Citadel. And I know that there has been um, multiple kind of like moaning and groaning for me uh, over the last few years about whenever in Minecraft does update. And I know that I do have a computer that sometimes causes issues, but this was... All three of us last night were playing like uh, in the evening, just kind of hanging out, uh, myself, uh, Anna Marie and Alistair. And uh, we were all experiencing between like 800 and 900 game ticks behind. Like you you couldn't pick up items. Um, I was having trouble flying. It was nearly unplayable. Uh, and I don't know about you or, and I don't know about the servers that you've been playing on, but I've just found even before last night that 117 just happens to be laggier than than before like I, d I don't know like i can't say for sure but it just it has that feel like things like bouncing around with elytra just seems to be happening a lot uh, i yeah. feel like my being tracked as a player just does not seem to be quite as precise like if i'm doing anything with scaffolding and water i almost want to take off my elytra because i end up just kind of doing that weird floaty bounce thing all the time <laughs> And yeah. it just, it's just like, I just want to get out of this one high block of water. And the game is like, nope, you have to float gently to the ground over the next 40 seconds before we're going to let you do anything. And it's just like, oh, come on. Now, again, part of that is like my own impatience of like, I just want to finish this build and like, get I just want to get out of the water. Um, but it, it just it has felt a little bit, you know, kind of chuggy to me. And so it's, it's hard. And again, I want to be very clear, not throwing any shade at, at Mojang Studios because I, between my computer the server running fabric and other third-party mods like it just you know there's a it could be anything i don't know maybe lithium is meant to help but is not doing its job right now i don't know um but i just anecdotally i just feel like it's been like that since we switched over to 117. the big problem we're having on empires smp in particular and i believe hermitcraft is having the same issue is that every time you grow a tree it seems to lag the world out and we're not certain what's causing this because a few people have tried to troubleshoot things and haven't had the same issue or have been mm. having trouble reproducing it. But especially if you grow any kind of two by two trees, uh, so jungles, dark oaks and uh, tall spruces, I think 
it may be something to do with either lighting updates or the fact that the leaves all have to detect how close they are to a log. Um, but something about growing those trees lags out the server for up to a few seconds. <laughs> and wow. so, you know, whenever anything especially laggy happens and you find yourself running the same few blocks that you were running a couple of seconds earlier, everyone immediately starts typing in the chat, who's growing trees? <laughs> and and it, it's almost become a point of uh, a point of fun, although... Yeah, it can be a little frustrating at times. It's made me quite happy that I'm in the desert and I'm not building with too much wood out there. It's mm. mostly sandstone and copper that I'm using in my pallets, so uh, the wood can last for a little while longer without me having to farm trees too much. Something that I do know is not just me, because we've had several people in, in Twitch chat confirm it uh, when talking about the update and people saying, like, how's it going and just that kind of thing. Uh, the There's no damage that happens, but the sound effect and visual effect of falling when you go through another portal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's been happening. And it's, it, like, again, it, nothing's wrong. And once you realize you're not taking any damage, you're like, okay, well, nothing's wrong. But it's still unsettling that you get that, like, ankle-breaking crack noise, like, whenever you yeah. go through a portal. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit scary. And you have, anything that looks like you're falling into the void, you always get that moment where your your stomach kind of falls out from, mm -hmm. from below you at a certain point. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure these are all just teething problems and hopefully... If, if Mojang provides any kind of stability fixes for servers, then that's great. If the mods can update to provide better stability for servers, also great. Or if we just kind of figure out what on earth we can do to resolve some of that stuff. I don't think it's usually too much of a problem, but it's, uh, yeah, always the, the teething problems of an early update. And I'm hoping this is not too much of a prelude to server issues in 1.18, but just knowing with the world height and depth getting mm -hmm. larger, I... I have I have my uh, my reservations about how easy it's going to be playing on servers in in 1.18, but we will see. Lots of progress to be made on that score, I'm sure. I feel like I'm going to be waiting longer with 1.18 to see how it goes before we yeah. update the Citadel. Put the feelers out, kind of get the yeah. lay of the land a little yeah. bit. <laughs> and I know, despite us having some lag issues now, um, I'm going to wait to see what happens with these pre-releases for for 1.17.1 because I don't want to because it's such a pain in the butt to update the fabric thing every time i'm just gonna wait to see if we get through like it was 116 went to like 0.5 i think before it was done mm -hmm. yeah. um, so i'm gonna see if we get like a 0.2 or a 0.3 before we finally update unless of course 0.1 comes out with a couple of bugs that very specifically address like tick and entity lag and something yeah so. yeah let's get into the email because uh we got a couple of emails to get through this week Sounds like a plan. If you would like to email the show, the email address once again is spunchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. We don't check anything else. From rocks, waxing copper, and axolotls. Hello, Johnny and Joel. Specifically to Johnny. Well, fine, I feel left out. Uh, who is a <laughs> copper lover? Uh, as of right now, we can only wax copper when they are blocks. If they are slabs, stairs, you would not be able to wax them. Hmm. Uh, this would be quite inconvenient for a player if they forgot to wax the block uh, before cutting it into slabs and stairs. Do you think Mojang should allow players to wax copper while it's in the stairs and slabs state? Uh, another thing, 117.1, uh, a player can only find blue axolotls when breeding other axolotls, which is to balance bedrock and java. Do you think Mojang should have made it so bedrock players can find wild blue axolotls or keep it as it is coming in 1.17.1. I feel this change would make players go out to explore again to find the blue axolotl. I would love to hear your opinions. That's it for now. Cheers, rocks. So first of all, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I thought too. 
the uh, to the to the copper point uh, as far as i can tell this is a misconception this like i have been waxing slabs and stairs both by right clicking on them with honeycomb and by crafting them in a crafting interface and it works fine for me um crafting recipes are, are, are fine you can't do it using the stone cutter when you cut the block initially but then you can wax it just fine in your 2x2 or 3x3 crafting interface afterwards and I've tested this on Bedrock Edition, and it's also the same result. When we got this email, I thought, well, maybe this is a, a Bedrock player who's writing in. Nope, same thing. You can wax it when it's placed. If you right-click on it with Honeycomb, uh, you can wax it in your crafting interface. So all I'm thinking is maybe the blocks you're attempting to wax are already waxed, and you didn't notice or something, but you, you can definitely oh. do it. Uh, a good way to tell if a block has already been waxed, aside from you know if you can't look at it or pick it up uh, and, and, and look at it with your you know your mouse over in the inventory or you don't you don't have access to the debug screen that we have on java to look at it and it will say waxed cut copper stairs or whatever it is um you can right click on it with an axe and that will scrape the wax off uh, and so if you get a like a a waxy noise instead of um the kind of scraping noise and the copper reverting to the previous stage then that copper was already waxed I, I, that's the only solution i can think of because yeah, as far as I can tell, the first paragraph of this email, they seem to be laboring under a misconception. Copper can be waxed in whatever block form you convert it to. Slabs, stairs, it, it, it all works the same way. Um, so not certain what this person has run into in particular. Maybe if they had seen that in a, a pre-release or something and haven't played with it since 117 has been out, but it, it works just fine for me. I think it's worth noting that there are some texture packs out there too, like from vanilla tweaks that just put like a highlight around the wax copper block in your inventory. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a, uh, another good helping hand if you're uh, on Java and can, can download that as a resource pack. Um, the second half of this email is the, the blue axolotl question, which I think is, is a little bit more interesting. There's, um, there's currently a one in 1200 chance that a blue axolotl spawns naturally in java edition but in bedrock edition they can only be bred and as of 117.1 they are changing it so that they do not spawn naturally at all in java edition and honestly i think that's okay just based on the fact that when i've been exploring out in the wild mostly in caves i've seen maybe four or five axolotls <laughs> and i know this because basically every time i find one i think oh a stranded axolotl let me pick it up in a bucket and take it home uh because i always feel bad for them just kind of vibing in caves in you know water streams coming out of the walls um but so considering how infrequently we run into axolotls at this point i think it's pretty unlikely that you would ever find the blue ones by exploring uh, it, it took a long time for anybody to be able to breed them, and they were breeding them intensively. I think it took somebody on the first couple of days of 117, it took them like, you know, 10 hours or so to, to breed one. Um, and it's still a pretty low chance for them to spawn through breeding. So the idea of being able to explore to find one seems unrealistic. And also, the necessity of exploring isn't really met in that you know because you could stumble into one randomly in a cave but there is also no guarantee that a certain amount of exploring would lead you to find a blue axolotl so honestly i think it's it's cool that they are rare and stumbling into one naturally in the world would be enormously fun but the fact that that's going to happen to so few players i think is what's motivating them to change that 
as of 117.1 and making it a, a breeding-only variant. Um, one thought about this, though, is that there's always the chance this could end up being reverted in 1.18, because at that point, aquifers get introduced, there's a greater opportunity to find axolotls just swimming around in underground pools or lush caves or wherever they end up spawning in the next update. And so maybe at that point, there will be more opportunity for players to find large groups of axolotls and maybe they will have spawned in greater numbers and there'll be a higher chance of you finding one in the wild at which point yeah they could revert it back to a natural spawn chance for the rare variant but honestly yeah i, I don't think most people are going to be able to encounter one if they continue the way that they are so i think it's nicer to give players the option to just keep breeding them up uh rather than imagining that they can stumble into one in you know, over a thousand axolotls and it'll be a blue one. Yeah, to me, it just has like a Pokemon vibe, right? You know, collect them all. It, it yeah, just, and it, this it, is just... this is the shiny variants, you know, it's it's the yeah. uh, the, the rare alternate color palette version. And mm -hmm. I think the odds of getting a shiny Pokemon are around the same. And <laughs> having having tried that in the past, it is honestly not worth it. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the uh, the second email though. This one comes in from It Just Dirt, <laughs> excellent uh, username there, and the subject of this one is riding goats. Hey Johnny and Joel, I've recently started a new survival world for the 1.17 update. After finding some wild goats, I stood next to them to see if they'd ram into me. I stood for a good few minutes with them barely moving, and I wondered if they could have a more interesting use. After Mojang added the disappointing mechanic of llamas, I felt there was a missed opportunity to give goats a new interesting mechanic to differentiate them from other passive mobs. My idea for goats being more interesting would be to incorporate some sort of riding mechanic. Similar to horses, you could get goats with different speeds and maybe jump heights. The goat horn could also be used to make your goat speed up and run even faster. I think Mojang could also somehow incorporate ramming into that feature, and I would like to hear your thoughts. It just dirt drove their goat too fast. <laughs> I feel like the sign-offs are now just all death messages, which is a little bit ominous. But Joel, <laughs> your thoughts on the goat riding question? Goat jousting PvP done. <laughs> like it just, it's probably one of the few things that would get me into PvP and interested in in goats. Um, I think goats are going to be fun for my medieval town aesthetically, but I don't see myself really using them for for much. I don't see myself using them as a goat powered farm. I mean, it'd be fun maybe, but like I, it just if like any other mob, they seem like they're going to be a pain in the butt to wrangle around. And we have that collectible, you know, um, you got to find a screaming goat, uh, you know, to to make the farm more efficient. You know, in the way that we've uh, received notes on goats in the last few weeks. So I. Um, I think adding riding goats would be fun. I think it would be unique. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about Minecraft that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you can ride a pig, you can't control it or no, you can't control it. How does that work? I mean, you, you have a carrot on a stick. It just doesn't go very right. fast. It just, is yes. the, the thing about pigs. <laughs> right. Without Yeah. So you need the carrot on the stick and the pig doesn't go very fast. Um, so like to have a goat where maybe the goat doesn't travel very fast horizontally, but if you jump with a goat, you can do like the five or six or eight block kind of like leap, which would mm. be fantastic for trying to get up into a shattered savanna or a mountain biome or the new mountain biomes when they come out in 118. Uh, I just think it'd be really fun. I don't know how you would tame a goat. Uh, like I don't, I guess you just feed it until it likes you or maybe you need, you know, a carrot on a stick to kind of like say, okay, well, if you can use a carrot on a stick with, a pig then maybe you can use the carrot on a stick with the goat um i like you know 
the fun that you have with striders, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. fungus on a stick in the nether in early game. And I think that having X on a stick with mobs could just add some silly fun to the game. And then you end up with people that are really savvy with, you know, the inner workings of Minecraft creating some really cool things with that, right? Yeah, I, I do like the idea of being able to ram people whilst riding a goat or, you know, mm. have that as a, an effective way to attack other mobs. Because let's be real, mounted combat has never been particularly easy in this game. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the mount itself kind of is what you're controlling. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't have a great deal of control over your player separately from the horse that you're riding or the pig, as it may be. Um, and a lot of the time letting go of that to change you know weapons and and to to do stuff means losing control of the animal uh like if you're riding a strider around you have to have a warp fungus and a stick in your off hand if you want to shoot at ghasts with a bow in your main hand and i don't think that option is even available to people on bedrock edition because of the offhand being limited so there's there's so many different things to which the mob itself would be such a you know a, a useful thing if it had some kind of built-in attack feature which goats do um so yeah i think goats are worth it on their own for the ramming mechanic i think that's the thing that distinguishes them from other mobs like llamas um and i find the prospect of riding them could add a lot of depth to the game it might be difficult to implement and mojang might not necessarily see the value in another mob that people aren't going to ride all that much but i think if you add in the ability for players to control its behavior in terms of the ramming stuff then yeah i see that being i see that being quite fun i also like the idea maybe of having some variants with the screaming goats where they are harder to control somehow so if you end up with a screaming goat they end up being a little bit more volatile and having more of like a a mind of their own considering that they're the more aggressive ones in the first place um I, I'm wondering about the goat horn and, and what purpose that may hold. And something about this email made me think, I, I wonder if they, they mentioned the goat horn being able to use to like speed your goat up and have it run even faster. I like the idea of, even if you're not riding the goat necessarily, blowing the goat horn and then all of the goats in the area end up ramming something. Like it triggers the goat ramming behavior. Um that that being almost like a, a kind of call to arms <laughs> for the goats would be would be kind of fun and i think maybe holding out for what purpose goat horns have might see a few more people understanding why goats are in the game as of 1.18 whatever they've got in mind for those i'm hoping that it's uh, something that justifies the existence of the goat a little bit more if riding isn't introduced i like the idea of being able to control the ramming ability and even maybe give it like a cooldown it just reminds me of other dash abilities that you have in games like minecraft dungeons you know like you have like yeah, a certain amount yeah, exactly. of timer before you have to, to turn it down and i'm thinking about all the mini games like uh, thinking like hungry hungry hippo like you, you you two players start on a on a field of zombies and the first player to ram all the zombies off the cliff wins you know or um or two players ramming into each other like if you could use a shield while you're on the back of a goat and as long as you use the shield before you hit whatever you're going into, depending on the, you know, the the damage the goat is doing, like the first player that has a broken shield loses the match. You know, like I, mm-hmm. there could be a lot of really, really fun stuff. Yeah, I don't think there are enough mechanics in the game when it comes to transport that allow for variable speed. And like, you know, minecarts, you can do a couple of things with powered rails and and 
you know, spacing out powered rails to guarantee that players are traveling at a certain speed. You can make a pig faster by boosting it with a carrot on a stick, and you can make a strider faster by boosting it with a warped fungus on a stick. But for horses, they're pretty much always traveling at the same speed. The player has a couple of different, you know, you've got sprint and sneak speeds and so forth. But for the most part, you are always traveling at a fixed speed just based on the stats of whatever it is you're riding or the environment that you're riding in. And I would love there to be some sort of mechanic for goats where they would move at a decent clip, but then, yeah, you could you could spur them on or, or speed them up and, and cause them to sprint. I think that'd be a, a really fun idea. For our main discussion topic this week, we have uh, farming resources in 1.17 because we were discussing this earlier in the show that Joel and I now have a bit more experience in 1.17 acquiring and farming some of the newer materials and even having some new approaches to farming older materials. And so I thought we could have a discussion about what approaches we found work best, if we find these effective enough for now or if we're still holding out for 1.18 to add more materials into the game, more access to these materials, and what we feel is still missing from the approaches that we currently have. So, uh, Joel, what have you been farming lately? We've heard about your moss farm already. Um, so what else have you been digging into in 1.17? So with the dripstone roof that I did a couple of weeks ago, um, I've been thinking a lot about like how and where on the server we want to put like a dripstone farm for me, because I'm going to be using the texture. It, it works well in a couple of different ways, uh, but it's a slow process. Like a dripstone farm is something where you want to start to set it up. Think about like your first days in a server and you've got one piece of sugarcane. Like you kind of have to just put it somewhere where you're going to see it all the time. And every time you walk by, you're going to chop it in half and plant more. And you're going to mm -hmm. keep on repeating that process. You're not really going to collect it. The idea is that you're just spawning more growing roots to work from with the sugarcane. And that's the same thing with the dripstone. Like you need a solid block of dripstone and a pointed dripstone as well as a water source on top of it. And then you just have to like line more and more and more of those up. And if you have a surface that's nine blocks below the pointed dripstone above it, you'll also get stalagmites and you'll get more pointed dripstone forming at the bottom as well as the top. Um, but that's kind of like where you have to start. I've not done anything automatic outside of the snapshot world that I did. And once I got about 16 modules and I forgot about it and I went off to do other things, that's when I would come back to the chest and realize, oh, there's a stack of pointed dripstone in there. Now, that only gets you, uh, what, like 16 blocks because you have to do mm -hmm. a two by two crafting grid. So it's one of those things that as you get more of it, you do start to accumulate, you know, a larger size farm. The, the thing would be, if you need a lot of it right now, you're gonna have a frustrating experience. But if you want to just play the long game and build a farm to uh, constantly collect it, uh, especially if you can have something automated with either a piston and uh, an observer that's watching the pointed dripstone, um, or you can use a flying machine to swing back and forth. You've People have seen this kind of stuff before with bamboo farms and sugarcane farms. The, the flying machine falls and or swings along and cuts off all the stuff below a certain point, leaving the pointed dripstone to then grow more later on. Um, it's just a matter of whether you want a flying machine, either constantly going back and forth or on a timer the ones that i've seen are on a daylight timer so they just kind of go once a day uh which is nice because then you don't have a flying machine constantly flying back and forth in your world um mm -hmm. so the problem that i have with the decision to, to do dripstone farming is where to put it like do you do you want it on display or do you want to hide it 
either way, they're not small. If you want a lot of dripstone, you need a lot. Like you need a big farm to have that yield, you know, a lot of blocks for you to play with. Um, yeah. So that's that's one challenge there. I think for, for folks who are interested in getting a lot of dripstone blocks, I would honestly recommend just trading f- with a stonemason. If mm. you have a, a 1.17 stonemason, there's a chance that instead of that polished granite or polished diorite trade, they will trade you dripstone instead. And if you're if you're after the blocks, then definitely get hold of that because that's like forty dripstone for a handful of emeralds. And I think just keeping the farm for pointed dripstone, presuming you plan to use that in combination with the regular dripstone, is um, probably for the better. Because yeah, I think that crafting recipe being a two by two means that you get like you, you really don't get a whole lot out of the pointed dripstone to block recipe. And so, yeah, I'd look at other ways of getting that. I would honestly go caving, I think, before I turned the pointed stuff into the the blocks themselves. But I think maybe for like a, you know, a skyblock scenario or something like that, it might work a little better. But in the meantime, I see myself getting the blocks a different way. Yeah, I was lucky uh, when I went looking for other things. I was looking for copper and I was looking for a geode. Um, I managed to find a, a couple of really large dripstone deposits in a ravine and it wasn't a special ravine. I wasn't keeping it for anything. It looked cool, but I just, I harvested the whole thing. I just dug it all out of the wall. And that got me started quite quickly with, I, I didn't really have to farm the blocks that I was using in my dripstone roof. I just had them because I collected a couple of stacks from a ravine. So like there, there are ways, depending on how lucky you get to, to get more of it. Um, I mean, it depends too, because sometimes like people like building redstone farms, it might be something fun to do. And it could be, depending on how you do it, it could be something that could be worked into a build too. Like you could line, if you already have like a waterway or something in your world that could could be used to collect the dripstone, if you just set the dripstone up above it, like you could just, if you already have the infrastructure, it could be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I The thing that I've been looking at um, to move away from the moss conversation I've already had is um, getting into things like rooted dirt and trying to figure out like what's going to happen there because you've mentioned that you use um, azalea trees to now harvest oak in a better way because then yeah. you get all you get things you get your oak you get your flowering azalea and your azalea leaves and you get the rooted dirt underneath it. How do you feel about just the single piece of rooted dirt? Do you find do you want it to be more? Uh, I would like there to be more because it's. I, I imagine it's sort of spreading, not quite as big as Podzol from giant spruce trees, but at right. least like a couple of blocks out. If you're if you're going to have roots for a tree that size, then they're going to be relatively large anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the the intention is not to you know end up generating blocks into stuff that players have already built. But I think as far as converting dirt goes, you could stand to check a three by three area around that and maybe turn those into roots as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's been manageable enough considering that I'm not using rooted dirt for a whole lot except occasional path blocks. Like if I wanted to make an entire path or a larger build out of the stuff, then I expect I'd find it more tedious. But as it is right now, because I'm farming rooted dirt from Azalea and I'm, I'm farming Azalea from to, to get hold of oak wood, it's actually not been too bad for me like i've definitely got at least a stack or so after i've been doing all of these paths so i found it not too bad but yeah i I think it could benefit from something else in future and this is something where finding a naturally generated azalea tree 
in the wild to find a lush cave is also going to yield a ton of those root blocks as they travel down from the surface so yeah. there will be a way of getting hold of them outside of farming them yourself you just got to uh yeah got to find one of those trees in the first place yeah the issue that i have with that is usually that when i i mean this is just me my own personal play style i see stuff like that and I, i'm the green you know tree hugger in me doesn't want to rip it all out you know it's like oh, it's <laughs> yeah, really cool yeah. it looks awesome is it you know the roots are hanging from the the roof of the cave like I, I should really leave this as it is and i'll get one um so i think that uh, we've been talking on the citadel am amongst ourselves about a number of custom crafting recipes that i think we're going to implement in 117 uh in order to get our hands on some of the stuff and i think i think we're going to go with something uh with rooted dirt i think just like everything else we wanted to have it gated like you need to have the roots or you have to grow the azalea tree first and then you can get the roots and maybe you combine the roots with dirt or, or coarse dirt maybe to get to again just kind of like make it a more complex crafting recipe it's something that you just can't get like from like easy mode um mm -hmm. i feel like that could be interesting i don't know if it's if if a data pack is something that you could use to then change the way that rooted dirt spawns underneath an azalea tree because my brain was on right in line with yours in terms of like a three by three area of like a random number of blocks in that three by three area would become rooted dirt you know like mm -hmm. just six of the nine or something like that would just kind of like get you what you wanted um i was thinking that it would be neat for people that really want to do like the big farms if you're going to be using um like a tree farm if you've got pistons that are breaking um leaves and stuff when those pistons break leaves blocks as they smoosh a tree down do the leaves get destroyed or uh they... yeah i mean they they get broken but they still drop stuff they still drop as yeah. though they've been broken by a, by a player or naturally decay right yeah. so if you had a hopper collection at the bottom you could basically like do uh, an azalea tree farm and get your flowering azalea bushes and your mm -hmm. azalea tree bushes and stuff like that the problem of course in that is that you can't make dirt in the same way that you can make stone you know like you do, there's cobble generators and stone generators you can't do that with dirt so it's mm -hmm. if that was the case then you could constantly have a new piece of dirt to then grow a single azalea tree on and you just have this stream of rooted dirt coming out of the tree farm in the same way that you'd have your logs uh and that would be really cool but you just you can't um you can't do that with dirt as far as i know um mm -hmm. i'm not sure what you would have to do i guess you would just have like a, a some sort of like eating machine that would just eat the countryside <laughs> and force dirt into your <laughs> yeah. tree farm i'm not sure how that would work um but yeah to to talk about some of the things that i think have been harder to get uh drip leaf we've been all of us on oh the boy. server for <laughs> a couple of weeks now uh to the point where um there's actually a little bit of rp going on where uh if you see a wandering trader you absolutely walk up to them because they might have a drip leaf if they don't <laughs> then yeah. it's licensed to basically remove the wandering trader from the world. <laughs> Many traders have died to bring us this information. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's the same way on, on Empire's SMP right now. We are, like, we've spent a month in that server, I think, so far, without any access to uh, drip leaf of any kind. And it's the small drip leaf that he will trade you. You can grow the big drip leaf from there. But my problem then becomes there is no way to get small drip leaf again out of a big drip leaf plant so if mm -hmm. like me i would love to have put some small drip leaf into this like desert garden that i'm now building don't have any and if i get any from the wandering trader it's going to be about five and i can only turn that into big drip leaf if i want to farm it 
outside of that, it's back to waiting for another wandering trader to show up. And it's it's entirely random, which that's the mechanics that frustrate me is when you're effectively just waiting for RNG to shine down on you and give you the, the block yeah. that you want, as mm-hmm. opposed to something you can actively go out looking for, like a moss block in a shipwreck or something. Like, it's just going to be a matter of the numbers at that point. You know, how many shipwrecks can you visit before you get one that's got the right chest and it's got the right contents? That is going to be at least something the player can be proactive about <laughs> and yeah I, I think obviously when 118 comes around availability of drip leaf is going to skyrocket but at that point i think it will it will feel like a footnote compared to all of the other changes and so yeah i i really want to get hold of it for some building i know my my server mates are also very keen on getting hold of some and i don't think anybody really wants it for big drip leaf everyone's just so happy that small drip leaf exists and it looks nice that they want to get hold of some of it but man the first wandering trader that shows up is going to be mobbed by people um and the problem with it is that wandering traders inventories are global so if one person trades with them that trade is locked for all of the other players so whoever holds the uh, the small drip leaf at the end of the day may end up having the keys to the entire server, I think, at that oh, point. Oh, man. Yeah, I, th- that to me is something where you think it would... The big drip leaf would, would like, drop small drip leaf without silk touch or give you, you know, big drip leaf if you had silk touch. Like, I just... there fe- I feel like there needs to be a better farming mechanic for it. I also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that small drip leaf has to be placed in water and or on clay. Yeah, in, in water or on clay, I think is yeah. the uh, there might be a couple of other blocks. Maybe it goes on moss as well, but mm-hmm. um, it needs like a, a damp environment. Basically, is the is the mm-hmm. idea. I I honestly would love to have it added to fishing loot tables somewhere or something like that. You know, something like yeah. lily pads where you can effectively you can farm it some way, and it might require a specific biome to do that, but at least you could get it from a jungle the way we do bamboo or something and i i would i would much prefer to get hold of it that way compared to just waiting around for a finite supply of the stuff considering how i want to use it right now but um yeah i i'm i'm looking forward to getting hold of it when eventually we do um and in the meantime yes gleefully slaughtering wandering traders (laughs) um I like the idea of uh, something really inventive, like some sort of botany, you know, like a crafting recipe, like a lily pad and a potion of strength gives you small drip leaf. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I, gate it, like still make it something that you have to get to the nether. You have to have a brewing stand. You have to get the ingredients for the potion. You have to have a swamp nearby. You have to get a lily pad, like have that kind of a list to get this thing and unlock it. So like, it's not just handed to you, but yes. being able to craft it at expense, I think would be, would be good. Uh, in in some way um, i've i've wanted to have that conversation for a while about how some of my favorite mechanics in minecraft while they are fairly esoteric are the ones that are like you splash a zombie villager with a weakness potion and then feed it a golden apple and it's it's stuff like that it it's the odd like like you said botany or alchemy kind of mm-hmm. feeling reactions that lead to acquiring different resources or some other sort of natural process happening i i like those mechanics a lot and it takes you out of just like a crafting interface or bone mealing something and standing still and just holding right click you know it it helps you feel again a little bit more proactive in achieving those kind of results so i would love it if there was something like that for small drip leaf it might be sort of unprecedented that you get hold of a plant that way but yeah, there might be options for stuff like that to come up in future, for sure. 
I mean, one of the reasons I bring that up is because the Citadel members and I are actively discussing a custom crafting recipe for spore blossoms. Um, right. Yeah. Be uh -huh. Because they don't affect, like, they're just aesthetic. They don't really do anything other, like for gameplay. They just look cool. Yeah. Uh, and they're one of the few um, blocks from the lush caves that are not implemented in a way like finding glowberries in an abandoned mine shaft chest, like finding moss in a shipwreck chest. Um, so we, I know that I saw a recipe from Herbicraft where they're using a an allium and drip leaf, um, mm -hmm. but because of the whole spore nature of it, I thought for us, and again to just add a little gameplay to it, we're thinking of having like a fungi in the center, so something you have to go to the Nether to get. We're probably mm -hmm. going to use the the red one. I don't know. We might decide that either one of them are fine. Um, having allium in the cardinal directions and then big drip leaf in the corner. So it's like a full nine by nine, you know, crafting recipe to get you a, a spore blossom. Um, I just think it would be kind of neat to kind of in increase the, you know, people have to find a flower forest and then do some bone milling, maybe make a flower farm, like just kind of increase the, the gameplay to kind of get that. Uh, yeah cool you're, you're getting stuff from other dimensions and stuff yeah, as well so it, yeah. it feels like more of a journey that you're going on to get that specific item yeah um and that's why i didn't want to make it just like a regular mushroom because we've been playing on the server for four years so everybody has at least you know a stack of mushrooms somewhere right just kind of from mm -hmm. early days um if for nothing else just from cutting down things in a dark oak forest um but yeah, yeah like I, I feel like there's a number of things like that that are kind of creeping up in in 117 where it just it's just not quite easy enough uh, or as you mentioned we're relying too much on the rng for it and therefore we're just like I, I don't think that data pack outside of this if we construct it in a way that is in the spirit of you know vanilla minecraft that it's really outside of the uh, outside of the realm the i mean anybody that streams is going to get the constant question like how did you get that it's like well mm -hmm. you know so you have to deal with that but other than that like i, I feel like the other stuff i haven't come across any geodes but I haven't really gone specifically looking for one. Um, and I haven't been using copper a lot yet. So like, where are you on, on the more, um, we'll call it like ro like robust or more abundant um, things that are not tied to wandering traders or loot chests? Yeah, um, even though there are like there are viable AFK copper farms now, um, especially thinking of Nembon's recent design, and copper farms honestly weren't too bad on Bedrock before this. Uh, Prowl uh, 8413 has a really good drowned farm that seems to have produced a decent amount of copper, like, you know, close to a double chest of copper after, you know, three nights of AFKing, which is not great, but you can get the, the same amount with probably three hours of standard caving, but... If you want an AFK means of getting copper, there it is. Same with the Nembon farm, really. But personally, I'm still finding actively looking for copper in caves feels like a more engaging way to get hold of it. And it's more that I don't really like AFKing all that much, and when I would be leaving my computer idle on a server, I would also want to be using my computer to do other things and make other series and edit and, you know, everything else. So I don't tend to rely on afk farms as much but copper is still very accessible and i'm very happy about that i have talked ad infinitum about copper so i'm not going to go too deep into it but i think it's nice at least that for the community that likes the more technical builds and likes you know being able to farm stuff renewably uh nembon's farm does seem pretty decent and will be even more so as of 117.1 um as far as geodes go, I haven't really encountered that many people farming them for amethyst shards yet because having done a lot of caving now for various other resources, 
I think I've stumbled upon enough geodes that if I wanted to just go to them, grab a ton of fully grown amethyst crystals, and then leave again, that would put me in good stead for a while. And I'm not at the stage yet where I'm making, you know, a full double chest of tinted glass or anything like right. that, which I think eventually I will be if we get to making larger scale mob farms. But I think tinted glass is more of like a luxury block than it is a necessity when it comes to those mob farms, right? Like you can you can still make those with stone and have the tinted glass as just like a, a three by three window to look down into it if you really want to. Yeah. Um, so, so I think aside from, you know, it's aesthetics... Uh, tinted glass is not too much of a problem and you can get enough amethyst blocks and calcite and smooth basalt if you want it if you don't want to farm it from the nether for you know, from a couple of geodes and you're good for a while unless you're again building something huge so I honestly think those are pretty accessible just getting hold of them normally and if you want to start farming that stuff I think the the mechanics of it are simple enough to understand. You know, you've got the the amethyst crystals. You can just break them with pistons and collect them using hoppers. That's that's a fairly a fairly easy thing to get hold of for the average person who knows what they're doing with with farming. Um, I've also seen some fairly easy approaches to farming glow ink using axolotls, which is a great example of a one seventeen introduced ecosystem where if axolotls will attack anything underwater then naturally they're going to be ideal for farming this new mob the glow squid and getting a ton of glow ink that way and yeah just just having an effectively an afk glow squid farm if you're in the area the squid are going to spawn in a dark room the axolotls that you put in there kill them and it just gets funneled into a water stream i'm not sure if the spawning rules are going to change in 1.18 and break that because of axolotl spawning area being different, glow squid spawning area being different. But for now, at least, it is easy enough to get hold of those materials if you if you want them. And to be honest, I've still found most of the glow ink that I've got, because I haven't been using much of it, from just, you know, going around an ocean in a boat and a glow squid will have been killed by something, you know, be it magma blocks or an uh, axolotl, and just glow ink will drift up to the surface from a nearby ravine. And I gather that as I go and I have enough of the stuff. I've not really had any use for the glow ink yet, but again, that's probably just because I've been spending so much time in the medieval area, like glowing ink is not really something that I need right now. Um, I can see myself using glowing item frames, though, for in the medieval area, just to kind of get light on a sign or, you know, make it look like something is more lit up, even though there's a lantern nearby, just kind of push that light just a little bit further so you can see some things. Um, but yeah, any glow ink that I've found, it's just, I've just found it on the floor in caves. Like, it just, yeah. it just it's just there. Um, for copper, I, I've not gone out looking specifically for it. I've just kind of gone caving for all one seven, like Drew just went lighting up caves and just ripping everything out of the walls, iron, coal, like copper. Um, I find that really engaging now. Like, like, as you mentioned, I like the, uh, the activity, uh, of going out and doing that. Uh, Cosmic in her live chat just mentioned that, um, she went out with a server mate and it was a fun team adventure, you know, just like, we're just going to go for copper. You know, we're going to split the resources. We can come back. We're just going to hang out and chat and, you know, go and mining and stuff. And that kind of, that kind of stuff is cool too. I know that I, I want to do the Nembon, um, video, um, farm on the Citadel. Um, but that's a split between a server mate wanting a lot of copper for a big build, uh, and the two of us just wanting to do a really big technical build together. Like it's, yeah. it's partly to do the build, not just that we want copper. Um, and, and, and maybe that's a thing where it's not going to be 
a server farm. Like maybe that's going to be their farm, you know, and they're going to be the yeah. one that has the copper. Because one of the things that I, I wish we did a little bit better on the Citadel server is an economy. Um, no one needs diamonds. We've been on the server for four years. Everybody's got plenty. But in terms of the new blocks uh, and in terms of things like me making this moss farm, there's enough people that wanted moss in the server. I thought a community farm would be the better way to go. Um, I think what I might do is say like, all right, well, this is all community stuff, but I'm going to call the bone meal from this mine, you know, and say, I'm going to have mm -hmm. the bone meal on the server. So if people want that, then maybe we can trade for blocks because mostly that's what we do for an economy is like, I need this. Do you have X in like dark oak for bone meal or like whatever that happens to be. Um, and so that kind of stuff is cool. And I'd like to try and work more of that into it um for copper uh that would be kind of fun if somebody similar to what you folks are doing on the empire's smp you know like some people are like sticking their flag in the ground and saying like i am the you know the the copper person or i am the the ocean queen or whatever um i think that's a cool way to, to approach things um as far as calcite and amethyst go um my concern is that i do want a fair amount of tinted glass for the modern city project on the citadel because i think that would be very cool to be able to use uh, in those cases. Um, and I just, I like the idea of, of getting a, a farm going. The thing that I find tricky with geodes is that I kind of want them to be nearby. So I don't want to set up a farm in a random geode that I find. I want to try and find a geode close to something like the modern city or close to the medieval town or just some, some close to someplace where, uh, people are playing a lot. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people are playing in the older chunks on the server those didn't get trimmed like those are still one seven well they're one twelve mm -hmm. chunks really um, yeah so like it's just there you have to go farther afield so i'm trying to figure out where would be a good spot to build like an amethyst uh geode farm and for me like if i can if i'm going to branch out in the medieval area to a place where i'm going to build like an elven area which in my ma imagination has a lot of like white and purple and blue and so i'm thinking like okay now now i would know if i can find a geode near that build that would be an ideal spot because that's going to grow all the time because i'm going to be on the surface doing things and building things yeah stuff like that so I have not looked into that too much but i think from what i've seen like i've seen some some content creators that have uh amethyst geodes that have like 10 12 budding amethyst in them like it's a mm -hmm. lot and the farms yeah. look really complicated to the point where it might be just worth it as you said to just harvest it and then come back you know on a timer you know and mm -hmm. say oh time to go harvest the geode um because it looks fairly straightforward uh i think too that uh calcite is another thing on the list of things that we might try and create a crafting recipe for i don't know what that looks like i'd imagine it would involve quartz you know and something else i'm not sure what um probably quartz in like an amethyst g like an amethyst shard or something like that in, in the mm -hmm. spirit of where it's coming from and just to try and get a little bit more of it it's it's one of those things where most blocks in minecraft are renewable in some shape or form or if they're not there's just deserts of sand you know like there's just yeah you can get tons of dirt and stone from anywhere you know uh i feel like having something as cool as as calcite and having so little of it uh if you wanted to use a lot of it would be is a, is a little bit frustrating so we might look at that i don't know it depends we might go looking for geodes and find 12 of them and it's like actually maybe we don't need a recipe i don't know yeah there are some geodes that are just enormous as well. So like if you found little geodes and you're like, oh, I only got a couple of stacks of calcite, is that normal? And then you find one that's about four times the size. Right. And suddenly yeah. you have you have more calcite than you really know what to do with. The um the other stuff I wanted to think about briefly was 
there being old resources that can be farmed in new ways. And I haven't looked into um, into lava dripstone farms yet, uh, right. but they they seem reasonable. They they are maybe a touch slow, but again, it's about scaling up. If something happens slowly, then you make 40 or 50 of them and then you wait for all of the lava to fill up at once and then you have 50 buckets of lava you didn't have before compared to just waiting for one or two cauldrons to fill so i'm i'm kind of curious once we start farming a bit more uh, of the pointed dripstone to see how that all comes together and um like i said azalea saplings are now my new favorite way to farm oak because it also gets you rooted dirt the saplings seem to take less bone meal to grow than oak does the only downside to it is that you have to use bone meal where you know normally an oak sapling would just grow into a tree on its own given enough time and light um but then yeah aside from that they've got more oak wood per tree typically unless you count the giant oaks but they are mostly leaves uh the leaves in azalea are really nice they drop more saplings like it 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 kind of repeats back on itself and and they're they're pretty usable in my experience so yeah i i am i'm curious to see if that remains but for now i think this has given us a couple of really neat ways to farm resources that we're used to farming in other ways i think the axolotl glow ink farm can very easily be repurposed into a standard open air squid farm and you wouldn't get glow squid in that because you have to have access to the sky which is the opposite of uh, glow squid so just throw a couple of axolotls into a, a, a spawning pool for squid and there's no need for all of the fence gates and signs and all of the uh, the other stuff anymore i like the idea of using um axolotls to farm stuff like that like it, it's it's almost too bad that you can't get a, a spawning mechanic for just no, natural fish, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. it would be cool to have like a fish farm or, um, I feel like it's almost like you, I, I want more animals in Minecraft to have more food or breeding sources. Like, um, I'm, I'm, I know this isn't the case, but I'm just, let's just use like sea turtles as an example, instead of kelp, like what if they ate fish? Right. So yeah. it would be really cool if you could hook up an axolotl fish farm to then supply you with all the fish that you wanted to breed your turtles like that, like that kind of interactivity, I think would be, be really neat. Um, but yeah, I haven't really thought much about the axolotls. I mean, they're cute and I put them in a bucket when I can, because it just, I, I'm sure I'll find a decorative use for them down the line. Um, but I, I don't see myself going and using them in things like a, a guardian raid or like going to hunt drowned in, in the ocean stuff like that i don't know i, I just it seems like a, a hassle for not a lot of benefit you know yeah i think in terms of using them for standard survival gameplay and then being like the kind of ocean equivalent of wolves i i don't know if i see that working out it may be i think it's something that you have to do for an advancement so it'll be something that i try at some stage sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know how many of them are going to survive. Although the, they may have made those mechanics a little bit more robust since I tried them out in the snapshots. So uh, we will see. But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to farm is, is what I'm learning. And farming is some of the only way we can get hold of it for now. But obviously we're looking forward to uh, some of this stuff being added in future in 1.18. For now though, I think that's where we're going to leave it for this episode of the spawn chunks thank you so much for listening folks you can find more information about the show and links to the some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me 
and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where joining our community, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as it is recorded in Discord every Monday. And it also gets us closer to our next goal, which is a monthly Minecraft audio hangout, where we'll be able to sit down and chat with our patrons about what they've been doing in Minecraft that month. We're currently at 257 patrons, which is up one from last week's 256. So thank you to that extra person for making the leap, jumping on board. And we have a new content engineer patron to thank. So along with General Pattern 82, Hunter 555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz, thank you, Magma Cube Dude for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them to go listen to The Spawn Chunks, and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and let us know how your 117 farms are doing or anything else you want to talk about. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com, and, of course, the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That is where you can get the extended version of the podcast, The Render Distance. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I'm currently running the Empire's SMP and the Hardcore Survival Guide side by side. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind the scenes work for those series, and might have a few updates from the Survival Guide Museum here and there as well. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Siddle Cafe, at thesiddlecafe.com, where I talk about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me on social media at Joel Duggan and, of course, on Twitch at Joel Duggan. I am building a medieval city and doing some cool farms in 117 in Minecraft. Looking to do some bonus streams this week. I might even have another stream up today. And I've got some art streams coming up. I'm going to be doing some Twitch graphics for friends in the community. So check that out at twitch.tv slash joelduggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it ain't gonna farm itself.